Sometimes we'll do crazy things to get noticed. You ever found that? You, you know, you met somebody with uh, a crazy hairstyle, or they were just super obnoxious and wouldn't stop talking, or they did something just out of the ordinary to get noticed. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be loved. I remember when I was 12 or 13, I can't quite uh, remember the age, I did something to be seen that I look back on and said, what in the world was going through my mind? It was, uh, again, about age 12 or 13. I went to a camp just a little bit south of here in Hastings called Winding Creek Wesleyan Camp. Now, the network of churches we're a part of had a district camp there at that time. And the only photo I could find from that summer was this photo right here, uh, which is not a great photo. You know, it's one of those that's like more abstract, open to interpretation. Uh, you know, what did the author mean by this? What are the you know, it's a very terrible photo. I don't know why it was taken, but it shows something. I am that guy with the blue long sleeve looking thing with a wristband and holding a pair of shoes. Now, I don't know if there's a pair of shoes on my feet at the time. Again, it's open for interpretation. So this is the only photo I could find from that camp. Well, um, I thought it was a good idea to uh, try to get some attention. Now, here's what, here's what uh, the situation I had. I had uh, uh, two older brothers and then an older cousin who also went to the camp. And so what that meant is that I immediately had a good friend group, a solid friend group. We would laugh. We'd be obnoxious. We'd do stupid things together. And because they were older, that meant that attracted older girls. So I was like, this is pretty sweet. I go to camp. I have an immediate friend group. You know, sometimes camp's awkward. You're like, who will I click with? Who's going to be sleeping on top of me, you know, on the top bunk? What's all this going to be like? And I was like, man, I've got, I've got a friend group, a solid friend group. They know me. Uh, I don't have to, you know, worry about that. And then I've got this possibility of, you know, getting some funny interaction with these other girls who I didn't know but were older than me. And so I thought, okay. Um, I've got that already set up. I'm going to try to get attention. I'm going to try to get noticed. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Goodwill and purchase a pair of scrubs. And I'm, this is a real story, I promise. I'm going to wear the scrubs every day of the week of camp and see if I can get like some laughs or some extra attention. We'll come to the end of the week. Those... Um, those scrubs should have been compensated by the CDC. Like, those things were toxic, disgusting. I, uh, someone said earlier they could stand up on their own. You know, I wore that to the, to the rec hall. I wore that for outside games. I wore that for the slip and slide. I wore that to chapel. Uh, I wore that to shake shake. Like, the whole camp deal I wore in that pair of scrubs. Why I did it? I have no idea. Did it work? No. Like, by the end of the week, they were like, man, you're at the wrong camp, dude. Like, you should go to Battle Creek. That's where you should be at. You know, like something else. Like, they were just, it, 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 it accomplished nothing. And I look back on that now. I was like, what in the world was I thinking? You know? And that's the, that's the pair of scrubs. I don't know at this point, like maybe it was time to go home and I had finally put on like a clean pair of jeans. I have no idea. So um, one, I know we had some students go to NTS the other week. Uh, maybe next year, you know, you could be the student that could wear scrubs the whole week. Like maybe that's your thing to live into. But here's what I know. I was doing my best to get noticed. I was doing everything that my 12-year-old brain could concoct a plan to do to get seen, to get, to get noticed, to get some laughs, to get some extra attention. Why I did it, I have no idea. Why I chose that method, I couldn't tell you. But what I know is that little 
guy with the crooked teeth and awkward smile and voice cracks was trying to get some attention. And here's what struck me, thinking back to that, is that feeling doesn't stop when we stop going to summer camp. That, that feeling of, man, does anybody see? Does anybody care? Does this group that I poured myself into, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a, a parent, whether you're just a friend or a cousin or whatever, the group you poured yourself into, do they care? Do they see me? Maybe you've had a, a place like a job, and you're like, man, I, I've showed up. I've done my best. I've tried to bring uh, integrity and, 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 and skill to my job. I've done everything I know to do, and somehow Sally Sue down the line gets more credit than I do. Does anyone see me? Maybe you've had a relationship. Maybe you're a parent or a grandparent or friend, and you poured time and money and uh, maybe yummy baked goods and, and, and cleared your calendar to make something happen for these other people, and they don't see it. They don't acknowledge it. And it can be this feeling, like it can be this 13-year-old Joel feeling of, is anybody going to notice? Is anybody going to give me the time of day? Do people not just see me, but do they understand are they, are they for me? Or am I just the person who I'm just going to keep giving and giving and giving and nothing seems to come back? I don't know about you, but I haven't outgrown that feeling yet. Sometimes I still feel like the kid in scrubs that's just trying to say, does anybody see me? And maybe if you figure that out today, we could just have a conversation after, uh, after the service, and I'd love to hear how you solve that. I, I think that's something that we all walk through in life. Whether you're the most introverted or the most extroverted, we come uh, prepackaged into this earth with a desire to be seen, to be known, to be loved, to be valued. The people in your, let me just give this, just this thought. The people in your life that may be acting out the most, that are the most uh, maybe aggressive or, or they frustrate you, those people are likely trying to get seen and noticed by somebody. Maybe it's not you. How many know sometimes kids that are, that are acting out, sometimes kids that are disrespecting and, and misbehaving, there's, there's a need for attention, for nurturing, for understanding, for somebody to see, for somebody to care. And I want to look at uh, a passage of Scripture with you today that that this has this, this theme written all over it. It's this lady, uh, it's this gal named Hagar. Uh, yes, that was her name. Uh, no, it's not a good idea for your next daughter's name, probably. Uh, but Hagar is someone you probably haven't heard of much. Uh, she's not on the, the Christian billboards. She's not on the Instagram post. She's not uh, talked about a lot. She's this obscure character that we bump into two times in the story of the scriptures. And uh, in Genesis chapter 16, if you turn with me there or, or pop it up on a phone or something like that, I'd love to read uh, just Hagar's story with you. And uh, I just forewarning, um, we're going to zoom in to some family drama. Um, maybe you come today and you've already got some like family drama you bring into today. Maybe there's some tension, there's some hard conversation, there's some conflict. We're going to zoom in on Hagar and this weird... Uh, triangle of relationships she's in, in Genesis chapter 16. It says this, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. 
which in that culture basically meant Sarai was, was not doing her job. She wasn't producing. She wasn't doing what she was supposed to be doing. What a way to start a chapter of the scriptures. Basically, Sarai is not measuring up, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, her husband, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Pause right there. It was never Hagar's job to build her own family. Like we talked about last week, God actually promised Abraham, I am going to build a significant, a prominent family through you. It was never Hagar, it was never Sarai's responsibility to build a family. And now she says, perhaps I can build a family through her. And compliant, Abram agreed. You can just hear this, like he's done. He's done with this conversation. He's done with the, the monthly disappointments and not getting pregnant. He's just done. He agreed to what she said so after Hiram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, took his, took, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. How do you think Hagar felt about that? The scriptures tell us a little bit. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, these feelings of bitterness a feeling like a resource, a feeling like a pawn in their game, a pawn in their plan. She begins to despise Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible, Abram, for the wrong that I'm suffering. Do you have those people in your life that they're like um, blame deflectors? Like, no matter if they're the only person who touched a project, no matter if they're the only person who said something wrong, like, somehow the blame is somebody else's. We get that vibe from Sarai right now. Abram, it's your fault. You're the reason I'm experiencing this kind of wrong. You're responsible. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram's fed up. He says, your slave is in your hands. Diplomatic Abram. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar so much so that so Hagar fled from her. And look at this, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. A little geography lesson. Shur was on the way back to Egypt. Hagar was going back home. She's going from this awkward love triangle thing, <laughs> and she's saying, I know I don't like this, so I'm going to go back home. Now, Egypt uh, was a country uh, that rebelled against God. It was built on this notion that there were not just one God, there was gods, and we worship, and we, we give our money and our time to them. And so uh, Hagar says, I, I maybe believe some of this stuff, but I'm going back to what is comfortable because of Sarai because of Abram, you just get this feeling that she's like, I, I don't have much to lose by just going back home. I don't know what I mean. I just know I'm pregnant, and I got to have a change. And the angel of the Lord found her there. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? 
Now, this is a messenger of God. Does God not know? Does God not know what's going on with this awkward little triangle over here? Does he not know that she plans to go back home to Egypt? But I find those questions so compelling to me. Where have you come from and where are you going? It's almost like the angel Lord saying, hey, what's been going on? Why are you here? Why are you running, Hagar? What, what are you running from? Where have you come from and where are you going? What if, if God tapped you on the shoulder this afternoon and asked you that, how would you respond? Where, where have you come from? What have you brought with you up until this point? And, and almost like he asked Hagar, what are you hoping happens next? What are you hoping happens in Egypt? Where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar responds so honestly, uh, and this could be uh, a whole other sermon for a whole other day, and I'm not going to preach it. But Hagar says, I'm running away. I'm running away. Are you running from anything today? Are you running from maybe not just an external circumstance, but something in, inward that you know probably, I, I don't know if I can fully get away from this. Maybe it's this need to, to feel seen, to feel valued, to feel loved. Maybe it's an insecurity about yourself. Maybe it's a fear or anxiety about the future. Are you running from anything? And the angel of the Lord just asks, where have you come from? What are you doing? And Hagar says, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. Do you not see what's going on over here? I'm running. I'm running away. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they'll be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your mis misery. Ishmael means God sees. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Love that statement. Maybe you're here today and you're a parent, and you're like, amen, that's my son. He is a wild donkey. You know, the scriptures are so true. He will be a wild donkey, this man Ishmael. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. It's just this figure of division. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers, you hear that promise at the beginning? I'm going to make your descendants so much you couldn't even count. Well, God promised a similar same thing to, to Abram a couple chapters earlier, and now he has this interchange with Sarai. And then look at verse 13. She, Hagar, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Now, we probably haven't heard of Hagar a lot, and chances are you maybe never read that that verse, that portion of the scriptures, but I love that line. You are the God who sees me. Maybe I'm like Hagar and I'm in this desert space between conflict and going to comfortable, between what I know and what I've known in the past, trying to move and get out of this thing. You are the God who sees me. God, your eyes are on me. And today, just like Hagar experienced those thousands of years ago, God's eyes are on you. Maybe you're not in a desert space. 
God's eyes are on you. Maybe your situation feels worse than Hagar's. God's eyes are on you. He can see the whole earth. He created the whole earth. And at some point, in some way, he can see you and he sees you. Just like Hagar, God sees you. He sees you. He sees you in, in maybe your apathy. He sees you in, in disbelief or in doubt. He sees you in, in your fatigue or anyone else just feels sometimes just blah about life. He sees you in that place. He sees you in the place of transition, of not knowing what's next in a certain area. He sees you in that place. And what I love about Hagar's story it's not just about God seeing us. Hagar's story isn't about God seeing us only. It's about us seeing that God sees us. I want you to miss that. Hagar's story is not only that God sees, that God knows. Hagar's story is about somebody in the middle of, of a yuck and is saying, I know right there, God sees. I see now that God sees me. He doesn't just see Abram and Sarai, who he spoke to and promised. He sees me right here, what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, what I know, what I don't know. God sees me. And maybe today, some of us would just find comfort from God's knowing that God's eyes are on you. He sees, he knows, he sees you. And would you be open to not just knowing that, but to seeing that God sees you. And look at what Hagar does. Scripture says, she gave this name to the Lord. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I, I know now. I know now what Abram talked about, this, this nearness he could have. I know what Abram now talks about. I've heard from, from the tent over, Abram, talk about your faithfulness. I've seen it now. I've seen that you see me. I've seen that you don't just care about him and his wealth and his descendants. God, you care about me, an Egyptian slave who's rejected, who is just used for my body, who is just used as a resource, who is just used to get someone else's agenda done. You see me. They may not. Sarai may not. But God, you see me. And where today do you just need to soak in that the God of all creation sees you? Where today do you just need to be seen by an all-loving, all-faithful creator God? Where do you need to be seen today? Is it in a relationship? Is it in a job? Is it in a crisis where it feels like there's no way out? Is it in just the midst of apathy and yuck and tiredness? Do you need to know that God sees you? And regardless how big or small, he sees, he knows, he cares. I love this quote by a pastor and author, Craig Groeschel. He says this, there's nothing too big for God's power and there's nothing too small for his heart. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too big you'd stare down and it would make God sweat or be like, oh, snap. You know, she asked me for that. He asked me for that. What am I going to do? And there's nothing too big that's on your mind that's not on God's heart. He sees you. His eyes are on you. And would you just be comforted 
today by knowing that he sees, knowing that he cares. They all may not see, but he sees. For some of us, maybe that's a scary thought. Oh, crap, I thought I was running. You know, I thought I was doing a good job hiding, but God sees me. I want to take you to a verse in Ephesians where the the writer Paul talks about this idea that we have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus. He says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, who were once separated, maybe God saw you from a distance. You've been brought near because of the blood of Christ. And that's about salvation. That's about a, a moment, a moment of decision, a moment of moving from one kingdom to another, but it's also about a life. You're near to God because of Jesus. His presence is not just around you, it's actually, it's in you. And so God's eyes are on you and his presence is with you. His presence is with you. I just thought about this in my own life. Often, often I ask uh, God for results in, in an area that I haven't invited him to take me on a process in. I want certain deliverables. I want a certain product. God, would you just give me peace? God, would you just just heal this area? God, just make this better. God, just deliver me in this area. But I want nothing to do with the process of God changing my desires, of God changing and working on me to bring strength and change and momentum through a process. Are you asking God for a certain result and not saying, God, would you take me on a journey? God, would you, I'm going to allow you to invite me back to the hard place, back to the conflict, because you're the God who sees me, and you don't just see me, your presence is with me. So I I can just, I can stay here, and I can know your presence, that you see me, that you're with me. I love this verse in, in Chronicles. It talks about God's eyes, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen. He's looking at you to strengthen you, not just to pluck you out all the time, but to strengthen you right in the middle of a hard place. Strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you, to him. Where do you just need to soak in that, God, you do see me, and God, your presence is with me. And when his presence is with you, that means his guidance is with you. That means his healing is with you. That means his hope and his perspective and his visions and his dreams are with you. His nearness, his presence is with you. Because God's eyes are on me. When I, when I know that, when I soak in that, and I know his presence is with me, I have comfort right now and I hope, have hope for tomorrow. When I, like Hagar, see that God sees, even in the group or the job or the experience or in the friendship or parenthood, the family dynamic that feels like no one else sees, when I know in that place, God sees, God cares, and he's with me, I can have comfort in that. How many know sometimes in relationships we're not looking for an answer? First couple years of Christy and I's uh, marriage, I thought that God sent me to give her all the answers and solutions. Then I got a new job description. Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't get it right the first time. I was like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm more here to be in the process with. Maybe I'm more here to, 
to be a listening ear, not to just provide a solution. And in that space, we can find comfort. There's comfort in being known and being seen and being valued. And when God's eyes are on me and his presence is with me, I can have comfort for today. I can also have hope for tomorrow because I know the one I'm walking with is way bigger than whatever it is that I'm walking through. I can have comfort right here, right now, and I can have hope for tomorrow. And maybe you're like me and you're like, man, that's great. That's, that's just, um, yes, amen. What do I do? What, how would I live it out? There's three prayers, three prayers that you and I, and I hope we together would just whisper. Maybe it's today before your, you know, before your Sunday nap. Maybe it's tomorrow, walking into a hard conversation. Maybe it's through the middle of this week. You just whisper these three prayers. God, would you, would you see me? Would you help me like Hagar see that you see me? Would you help me like Hagar soak in that you know me, that you care, that you do see right where I'm at? And in that place, God, would you speak to me? Would you speak to me? Would you give me a new direction? Would you remind me of an old direction? Would you help me take a, a good next step? God, would you, would you see me? Would you speak to me? And then God, I just give you permission. Would you, would you work in me? Help me not just look at you for a, a product or a result, but God, help me in the process with you. God, would you work in me? God, see me. See me today. See the area of need. See the area of frustration. See the area of brokenness. God, speak to me in that place. Then I invite you to work in me. Change me. Use me. Speak through me. Love through me. Comfort through me. God, see me. Speak to me and work in me. And in that place, you can have comfort and hope. Comfort and hope. I couldn't just get past this, this passage in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a famous psalm you probably heard in uh, a funeral, you probably heard in, in several church services. Psalm 23 really just talks about this reality that God is a shepherd. And uh, if you know sheep at all, you know sheep are dumb. Uh, sheep are not always the wisest creatures, and they need some patience. They need some process. They need some people walking with them. And he says this, Psalm 23, the Lord, he's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Even when life around me is loud, there can be quiet places within. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I have comfort today hope for tomorrow because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, the way you lead me, the way you shape me, the way you change me, it brings comfort. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, God, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the symbol of his presence. Where do you need to do today to be seen by the creator of the world? Where do you need to be seen? Where do you need to be noticed? Where do you need to be valued and cherished and loved by him? And then where would you just pray, God, God, you remind me of your presence. Would you strengthen me through your presence in the place that I'm in? 